Welcome to another episode of A Positive Podcast. In today's episode, I am sharing something different on the topic of marriage. And as you may know, I'm always looking for different interesting ideas and topics to discuss and bring awareness to. And recently, I've been getting requests for more episodes on the topic of marriage. I've been talking about parenting and addiction and mental health, but I haven't really been speaking about relationships, specifically the relationships with regard to a marriage. And Baruch I personally have been blessed with an incredible marriage. And like everybody else, it requires a ton of effort and work and desire to make it better and to invest in this relationship. And I wanted to be able to share with all of you information on a topic that's close to many of your hearts. So I've been looking around for interesting people to interview and discuss the topic of marriage. I'm very excited to share that I have some really interesting topics coming up in upcoming episodes with marriage therapists, marriage counselors, and people who are sharing their personal stories and their own experiences as well on different episodes. But today's episode, I share with you the topic of relationships, specifically with regard to marriage. And I interview Hindi Collinson, who is a marriage coach. And she shares with us some ideas and explains with uh, to us the idea of relationship and how it can help a marriage. So I want to thank Hindi for being willing to come on. She's very soft-spoken. She's very empathetic. It comes through. You kind of listen and you, you'll notice my voice is even kind of aligned with hers, very soft. And I think that you might find it to be interesting and inspiring and hopefully we'll all learn something new and help us in our own relationships. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. And today we have Hindi Collinson. So thank you so much, Hindi, for joining me today on today's episode. And let's start off with, why don't you share with us your name, where you live, a little bit about yourself, who you are, how you came to this whole, you know, topic or relationship. Tell us more. Yeah. So my name is Cindy Cominson. I'm a relationship coach. I work for the organization Relationship. Um, I live in Los Angeles with my husband and four kids. Um, <clears throat> how did I come to relationship? So the real answer is... Um, how did I come to Sarah who's the founder of Relationship? Um, I came to her because I needed help. I needed guidance. I felt like I wanted um, marriage. And I reached out to my sister-in-law, actually. And she, thank God, uh, that day or the day before, had just found out that Sarah was a coach. Um, and they had gone to seminary together. And so she forwarded her number and Hashem just guided me. That was just one of the very first of many, many, many steps of Hashem guiding me along the path that I am on right now. And it was the beginning of a journey. Um, I spoke to her probably three times and then she invited me to join her coach training. Um, and I totally jumped in because I think there's nothing more incredible than bringing Shalom to two people who are struggling. So I love that. I'm passionate about what I do and um, never a dull moment because you could always grow. That's what the relationship always is. It's about you growing. So 
Thank you. Yeah. I'm really yeah. excited. So tell us how long were you married? How many children do you have? Where do you live? Give us a little insight into yourself as well. Okay, cool. Um, I'm married 10 years, thank God. I have four kids. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I am passionate about nature, about animals, learning, chassidus specifically. I love the stories of the Gemara. Um, I'm passionate about little things in life, uh, just like little moments, little actions, observing them, seeing them, being there for them. And I think that's me. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the openness. And, you know, when you said the part about, you know, I reached out because I needed some guidance and I was looking for more. I love that you were comfortable to share that being authentic. Cause I think that's such an important piece that, um, when we share with clients, when we share with people in our community, when we share with friends that we also struggle with this or have this as a challenge, it, it kind of takes off the pressure and it makes it, Oh, I'm normal. I also, she struggles with that too, because we all do. So, um, let's get right into it. I know that it's called relationship and I know that you're a marriage coach and being a coach myself, I know what that entails to some degree, but you give workshops, you educate about this relationship approach to marriage. So it sounds to me, I mean, this is a little bit that I know, cause I don't know that much about it, but it's based on, you know, Kabbalah, Hasidic sources, but can you tell us what is relationship and how does it differ from other approaches to marriage? Yeah, thank you. So relationship is what I believe is the Torah's perspective on marriage. And the Torah's perspective on marriage is that marriage is sacred. It's a soul level bond between a man and a woman. It represents the bond between God and Israel, all of B'nai Israel. Um, and there's nothing more binding and, and uh, uh, sanctified than that. Um, and bringing the peace between a man and a woman literally brings peace into the world. That's what Torah believes. So it's a crucial relationship. Um, and that's why there's so much emphasis on it in the Jewish world. Um, it's not just about living with another person or getting your needs met by another person. It's about creating shalom. And we could talk about later what that, that actually means. Um, but what's important is that this is the foundation of Judaism um, and your relationship with God, which is what we all want, what we're all striving towards. So what is relationships approach? Um, it's very much based on finding value in the other person. Oftentimes when women are in a relationship, men are in a relationship, there's a lot of evaluation and it could be happening without you even realizing because that's the way we are born. We are born to look around us and interpret events and interpret the reality and try to feel safe and try to make sure that we are um, understanding what's happening around us. And when we bring that level of evaluation constantly to our relationship, it might not serve us. So first and foremost, what I have found, what makes us different than maybe other approaches is really kind of veering away from evaluation to finding value. And from there, we're talking about finding value within the woman herself, within her spouse, within the relationship. Um, and from there, there's also a huge focus on the male-female paradigm, which is something we really talk about a lot in relationship jargon. It's the mashpia makabal dynamic. 
Um, and we also talk a lot about the soul and body paradigm, which is a struggle for all of us. We're all kind of struggling between living from our most authentic, true, essential self, and then the very human reality-based life that we live um, and the struggle that that creates in our everyday lives all the time and what that brings to our relationship. So that's something that we focus on a lot as well. Um, and the last point I would say is a huge focus also in relationship is the shift from victimhood to a state of conscious choice. Um, and that is something that all people can hear from nowadays because that's something that unfortunately is a trend. And we all want to be in the space of really choosing and consciously loving the life that we have instead of constantly feeling like a victim of circumstance or a victim of our situation or our marriage or our relationship. So those are just some of the we really focus on. I love that. Let me just ask you a question on that for a second. You said moving away from evaluation and focusing more on the value. What would be wrong with evaluation? Like, I'm curious, like what can, what can go wrong in a relationship when someone's taking the time to stop and evaluate? Yeah. What does that bring up that's problematic? So evaluation, according to the Kabbalah, comes from a mida called Gevura, um, which is, it would be Gevura and it would be Bina. So Gevura is, um, is translated in a lot of different ways. Some people call it strength. Um, but when you look at Gevura, according to Kabbalah, it's also a lot of restraint. Um, and it also stems from Bina, which is understanding, contemplation, basically like breaking things down. So when Bina and Gevura go together, uh, what comes out is, and again, this, there's nothing wrong with this, but what comes out is a level of judgment. That's what evaluation is. It's looking at the other and kind of seeing who they are, what they are, and, and kind of sectioning them off, putting them into a box, putting on a label. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that because that's important. That's what we do to make ourselves feel safe. Um, it's a very crucial part of survival. That's how we're born. We need to be able to interpret the circumstance that we're in. And at the same time, if we're bringing a level of judgment to our relationship, then it's a very unsafe space for the other, right? So to give it like a quick example, so a woman um, sees that her husband is consistently coming home from work 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late. Now it's becoming a half an hour. So this is, she's seeing a trend. Now, is it reality-based? Yes, he's coming home late. It's later than he was saying he was going to come home. So what naturally will happen the first time it happens or the second or the, maybe by the fifth time, depending on how generous this wife is, is he's, you know, he's late. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't prioritize me. He's prioritizing work over me, right? And so these beliefs start coming up, judgments, they go hand in hand. And that is, first of all, really painful for her. It's painful for the relationship. And what will happen is it starts limiting the person that she's with to being a latecomer, someone who doesn't prioritize his wife. And there's a lot of ramifications for living with a level of judgment all the time on the other person. I know for myself that if someone comes into the car with me and they're sitting in the front seat um, and they think, and I know that they think that I'm not a safe driver, I will... I will just start driving more recklessly because there's there's no space for me to drive any way otherwise than recklessly because that's the way they think of me. I'm not saying that that's 
rights. I'm just saying that this is what will happen. There's no safe space for me to be anything other than the limitation that they're putting on me. So that's why we want to kind of step away from evaluation to finding value. Mm. And in that scenario that you gave, how would a wife proceed with mm-hmm. regard to moving away from evaluation and moving towards value? Beautiful. It's a really good question. So first and foremost, before you even start um, shifting away from evaluation, you first have to really recognize that the reason why you're feeling like you need to evaluate is because you're in a state of fear. And that's something that for me took a very long time for me to even acknowledge because I always thought I was fearless. Like I I would do all these crazy things and I was single, you know, I went uh, hang gliding and I'm always doing the fun stuff. Um, And I was always considered a brave person. I always thought of myself as a strong, brave person. And then when I finally was authentically real with myself, I realized that so much of what I do um, is because it's based on a fear, right? What is, what does society think? What is this person going to think of me? Or um, how am I going to perceive myself? All that is based on fear. And if I'm going to look and realize and recognize that everything that I'm doing is spurred on by fear, then I'm also going to recognize that my judgment and my evaluation is coming from fear. So before even I could veer away from letting go of evaluation, I have to start looking at my fears. That's like very first step. Like, let's just acknowledge that we're functioning from fear. And if I could start looking at my fears and walking through my fears, then I could come to a space of um, letting go of needing to evaluate. Because what we're doing, why are we evaluating? Because we want to feel stronger. We want to feel more grounded. We want to feel more secure. But even then, it doesn't make you feel more secure, right? So in the scenario with the husband um, who's coming home, so she just decides, okay, so he's not going to show up for me and he's going to be coming late. So now she feels a little more secure because now she knows what to expect, but she's still not grounded. She still needs the support. She still needs help. And now there's even more fear because now she's married to someone who doesn't prioritize her, right? So it's like this never ending cycle of fear. So even before we get to like evaluation and how to veer away from that and even finding core value in another person, that's something that we need to explore, how to walk through fears. Fear. I love it. Fear is, this is the same, I would apply this to parenting as well, or, you know, with coworkers or any situation. Fear stands for false evidence appearing real. And it seems real. It really does, but it's false. So that's the first step. Okay. And you know what? And sometimes fear is, is not false, right? Sometimes it's, it's based on a lot of evidence and it's, it could be true, right? Like if I were to ask a woman, um, how realistic does the, this fear feel? Sometimes it feels really realistic and sometimes it has happened before, right? So like, let's say he, she's afraid he's going to come home and something's going to happen to one of the kids because that happened once, you know, and she was stuck going to that by herself, you know? It has happened before, so it does feel real. Um, And there's still ways to navigate that fear, even if there is a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I love that. So step one would be the fear factor, like having that awareness of where it's coming from. Okay, so I wanna hear more about the, the approach per se, but I have a few questions. So if there's something you wanna add, go ahead. But one of the things that I have noticed in couples that, that struggle is that sometimes they're different, very different personalities. 
different interests, different hobbies. Um, one spouse is an extrovert, one spouse is an introvert. And they kind of, you know, want, one wants to go out, one wants to stay home, one wants to, to be at the family event, one wants to not be at the family event. What would you, I don't want to say advice because I know that coaching has nothing to do with advice, but what would you share with a couple of how they can work on this part of their relationship and actually be able to find some common ground and an ability to live more, you know, harmoniously with regard to this issue? That's a really good question because oftentimes that's the first um, indicator. And even society will tell you that if you don't have shared interests, then that's the beginning of the end. Uh, which is such a painful and scary thing to feel. Um, and it breeds, again, so much fear. So first and foremost, that's just a belief. It's not true that two people have to have shared interests or have the same personality to be connected or married. So that's the first thing we have to just talk about. Like, it's not true. Um, there are people out there who don't have the same interests and are different personalities and are best friends or are married. So that's an important thing. But I do hear the loneliness of a woman who feels um, because her husband has a different personality or because he doesn't have the same interests as her, um, they feel like, let's say, two ships sailing uh, past each other in the middle of the night, right? That concept of like there's just no connection or there's no shared um, basis for our connection. So first and foremost, um, an important thing to know is that there's always ways to navigate that. There's different pointers, there's ways to navigate that. If there's a way to um, trust that there is connection, right? And look for other ways that there is connection other than like shared hobbies or interests or personalities, you might have to dig a little bit deeper, but there's for sure a soul level, soul level commitment and connection that they have with one another. Um, and what often happens is there's already been distance. And so this makes it feel even more scary or even more distant and disconnected. And so what it means is that she or he both, they have to explore their connection and what makes them feel connected. Oftentimes a woman will try to bring connection um, to her husband in the way that she's always experienced connection. So what I mean by that is, Let's say before she got married, she always um, experienced connection with her friends by having DMCs late into the night, um, or they would be like really touchy-feely. So there'd be like lots of hugs and like, you know, constantly just taking care of each other, being there for one another, running each other's errands, doing things together all the time. Everyone has their own way of feeling connected with another person. Now, if you're gonna bring that to your marriage, as the sole only way to connect with that person, then it's kind of limiting that person because you're bringing, first of all, your one way that you connect and it could be not his way of connecting. And then you're also shutting yourself off from so many other ways of connecting with this person. So let's say shared interests is one way to connect with someone, right? So let's say guys both like baseball games. So they'll go to the baseball game together. That's their way of bonding, but there's so many other ways of bonding. So what's important, I think, for a woman to um, really explore is what are other ways for me to connect that I'm not even seeing, I'm not even open to, not even realizing there are other opportunities there. My husband could be presenting them to me and I'm just not even seeing them as connection because I'm limited by the way that I perceive connection. 
Okay. So in that scenario, let's say somebody who is more enjoys going out and doing things and their spouse doesn't, and they want to be doing more of that. I don't know that's necessarily connection, the way that they want to connect with each other, but that's something that they want or they have this desire for. And in that scenario, what could somebody do? What, what would be helpful? Okay, so there's kind of two answers to this. So first of all, what's stopping her from going and doing that, right? So the woman who wants to go out to eat, she wants to go out, she's the extrovert. What's stopping her from doing that? She probably wants her husband to come with her. So if she has friends, she could go out and do that with her friends. She could go out and do that on her own. And then there's still that lingering feeling of, I would love to do this with my husband too. Like I'm trying to fill myself up. I'm taking ownership, taking accountability of how I feel and what I want, and I'm doing it on my own. And I would love my husband. So if she is doing that um, and she is then, you know, there's no energy of expectation around it when she brings it to her husband. Um, obviously I'm speaking in totally theoretical terms. So I just wanna be sensitive to the audience. I'm not saying that this is a promise. But what I am saying is oftentimes if a woman approaches her husband with respect and with, and when I say respect, I mean receptivity to whatever his response will be um, and without expectation or neediness attached to it. Um, and she said something like, you know, I'd love to go out with you. Um, if there must be a macabre dynamic is in place, then a husband would want to make his wife happy and go out with her. What often happens is, and we're bringing up like, let's say this extreme case of a personality difference and he never wants to go out and she always wants to go out. So then what I'm hearing is there's been energy here of her trying to pull him out of the house and him resisting and digging in his heels. So now there's been disrespect already in this specific situation. So that has to be cleaned up. Um, and then once she's able to honor her own voice in what she wants, and she could, again, implement that mashbim akabot dynamic in place, then the husband who stems from chesed, from kindness, from generosity, he wants to make his wife happy. And it makes sense that he should want to do that for her if he feels like there's space for him to contribute that to her instead of her like pulling it out of him. Right. So what I'm hearing you say is something to this effect and tell me if I'm hearing correctly, the idea that if you're coming at it with judgment, you never want to go out. You don't want this. You don't like it. I wish you'd like this. So you're coming already with your beliefs, your narratives, your um, description of what's wrong here, what you're doing wrong versus coming at it and saying, I have a need. I would love to be able to go out with you without expectation, without you know saying what it has to look like or what it has to be like. And you're not judging. You're not coming at it from that angle. There's a much more chance that it will be received correctly. Right. There's a lot of level, there's a lot of trust um, put into approaching your husband like that, right? Because you're not, you're not bringing him your needs because you already fill your needs. You take care of yourself and your needs. There's that ownership that's already in place um, right. when it comes to what we teach here in relationships. So you're not coming with that sense of neediness. You're not coming with that expectation of you're supposed to fill me up with what I okay. need. Um, there's a level of trust. Like I know that we have a relationship and I know that you deeply care about me and what I love to do. And I know that this is not something that you like and I'm still being vulnerable and asking for what I would love with, without expectation. 
And then there's like space, right? Just like even just in the way I said it to you, you could feel like there's space for him to answer with, let's say, I hear you, you wanna go out tonight, I'm busy, I had other things going on and I'd love to take you out Saturday night. How about that? Mm. Right? So, and there's space for her to say, wow, he's gonna do that for me, he's showing up for me. It's a lot of leaning on trust on the relationship. Right, so I also, I wonder at the same time, like, isn't it okay for us to be, you know, somewhat needing a relationship? I mean, it's the person we chose to marry. Shouldn't a person, doesn't a marriage need the other person to be needed? I mean, this idea, like almost like a relationship with Hashem. Hashem needs us. We need Hashem. That's what makes a relationship. If my relationship has me not needing anything from my husband, then what makes my relationship, you know, unique and special? So that's, so I guess I'm having two questions coming up here. Mm-hmm. let's go back to the neediness for a second. I understand the idea of filling our own cup. I understand this concept. My question is, is shouldn't we have some level where my husband feels needed by me? That is a really good question. And if I'm hearing it correctly, um, I think you're asking to describe the subtleties between a woman taking care of herself and at the same time, a woman receiving from her husband. Because of course, right, there's a relationship here and that means that the husband and the wife um, are interacting constantly and of course have ties, bonds that um, keep them together. And I don't like to use the word need because there's so much negative connotation attached to that world, word, but there is a level of the mashbia and the makabel um, giving and receiving and having this deep relationship and connection. So your question really is, is when does a woman know when to receive from her husband and when to be independent? And I'll say it's a very, very subtle balance because the question really lies in women's source. Our source is Malchus, and Malchus has that duality. Malchus is the last of the ten spheres, and it receives from all of its predecessors. And it doesn't have its own nida on its, unto itself. It receives all the others, and then um, gestates all the others, and then gives over and spills over into the world. And that means that Machos receives everything and at the same time spills over. It nurtures um, and spills over and creates in its own way. So it's a, it's a really large question that you're bringing. And I think that the subtleties are taught in the workshops and relationship and in private coaching, but it's hard to say a just, um, a flat out answer because it's so nuanced. I think with every woman, um, it's a subjective question, right? For one woman, in certain respects, she does have to be more independent and take care of herself. Kind of depends who she is, what the relationship is and where she's at in life. Um, And for another woman, she has to open herself up more to receive from her husband. So I hear your question. And at the same time, it's definitely a subjective one. I believe, and I've read and I've heard people say this, but that the most important thing that parents can do for their children is really give them a relationship that's solid between the husband and wife. And in that vein, many people will say, 
that the most important thing for a wife should be in this order, her husband, then her children. And I add to that, you know, if you want to be there for your husband, you got to first yourself, you got to put yourself, then your spouse, then your children. And then there's some people that say, what do you mean? A mother's first is her children. They, you know, her, her babies, her kids, right? I guess my question is, is do you, does that resonate with you? Do you think a mother should be focusing on the relationship first and then, and when I say, you know, does it have to be in that order? It's just, it comes up in life. Like your children are talking to your husband's talking to you, you know, you're, you're feeding your children, you're feeding your husband. When I say feeding, I mean like preparing him. Let's say some people like to prepare a plate for their husband when he comes into the house. So things like that. Do you think that this idea of focusing on your marriage first is something that resonates with relationship and these ideas? Yes, 100%. Um, one of the principles that we teach is that shalom bias is the foundation of our home. And when I say foundation, I mean that it's the building blocks of the chinuch and the creation of a home atmosphere. And the greatest gift you can give to your child is the stability of your relationship with your husband. Um, and people hear that and they understand that. And yes, that makes sense, right? Anyone will hear that and say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But in practical you know, implementation, what does that actually look like? That's when it starts getting sticky. Um, I have found that, you know, I, I remember, I won't say which one, but one of my children had some anxiety um, and I was trying to do all sorts of things to help her, you know, regulate herself and calm herself down and I'll be there with her, talk to her. And as much as I did to fully be there for her, um, it only actually solved itself and healed once I started healing my marriage. So mm -hmm. I actually focused on, let go of focusing so much on problems I was seeing come up with my children or their dynamic with their father and actually turned to what's my dynamic with their father and what can I do to heal this relationship as much as I can. Then so many of the things that were coming up in my children, even like in school, fell into place because they had that deep understanding an identity that my parents are secure and their love and their respect and their relationship is secure. And so therefore I can be secure. I, I love that. And at the same time, what comes up when you say that is, I don't want people to think that if somebody does have a child that struggles, that it's necessarily meaning that because of your relationship that that's happening. Cause I've seen beautiful relationships that are very solid that have children that struggle, that have struggles with mental health challenges, mental illness, um, anxiety, depression, and it's not necessarily, um, though, though at the same time, when we do our own work, and I think that's when you're, what you're saying is that it comes, yes, in the marriage too, but when we begin to work, like people will say like, what can I do for my children? What can I do for, I, I, what can I do for my children? And I'm like, you need to get yourself some help. You need to get support. You need to get yourself, um, the, like, I don't, it doesn't have to necessarily be a therapist doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's professional. It could be a good mashpia. It could be a good person that you, that you trust and feel safe with, but you need to start doing your own work. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we begin with ourselves, and that's what I'm hearing you say really is that we start doing our own work and then we, which then eventually impacts our marriage. That's when we could um, actually see, you know, our children also getting healthier and stronger, but I do want to put that caveat out there that it's not 
that every child that struggles is because their parents um, haven't done their own work and haven't, um, you know, they have a bad marriage, God forbid. So I do want to just um, put that out there. Yeah. And that goes with everything, right? Because there's so many beliefs out there uh, around shalom bias. Like if you have shalom bias, then Parnassa is going to be doing well. And if you have shalom right. bias, it's going to be doing right. So like there's, there's so True. many surrounding uh, statements like that. And of course, um, it would be wrong to take that much responsibility upon your shoulders and say that it all depends right. on what, what we can say is if we start healing ourselves, things can get better. Yes. But see that everything is our fault is right. Well, you know, it's interesting because things can get better. Just saying those words, meaning we start to see things differently. We start to be okay with the fact that my child struggled. My child might not heal, but I'm healing and I'm okay with being in that discomfort and being there with them in their discomfort. And all of a sudden I have the tools that I can be there and experience it. And it doesn't bring me down or break me. And just by that, and then our child sees that we are okay with it, then they start to begin to become okay with it. And they can be calmer. It's like a powerful shift. And it's very slow. I just want to reiterate that because like people are like, okay, well, I've been working. I've been like with the therapist for a year and I'm like, and I'm not seeing any results. I'm like, therapy work, self-work can take a long time. Mm. There's no quick fixes, but but um, it's a very good point that you brought up there about really beginning with ourselves. So let me ask you, in your opinion or your experience, what do you think is the most important thing that a marriage needs to flourish? And notice, I didn't say survive. I changed that. I was going to originally say survive. I'm like flourish because there's a difference, you know, survive and then there's flourish. Yeah. And those two different answers to the Okay, go for them. Yeah. yeah. Um, because survive, <laughs> survive is, you could survive in many different ways. Um, to really flourish, I would say, I would, I would stick with finding essential value would be the answer to flourishing. Meaning, if you're a person who really understands, believes, and tries to contemplate on my own inherent value, the fact that I am a soul with infinite ability, infinite value, it's unchangeable. And I could also see that in that other person in my life. And I could see that manifest in the way that they act. And I could deeply believe in their inherent value and even, yes, see their limitations and yes, leave space for them to grow from there. Then that's where a marriage is flourishing. There's so much space. There's deep respect. There's a woman approaching her marriage, yes, from a space of her own value, but because she's looking at herself from a space of value, it's not going to in any way infringe on anyone else's value either because her neshama and their neshama she sees both right so any action that she's taking it's not coming from a selfish place or a manipulative place it's coming from a place of i see my inherent value and i see others as well so self-worth is that what you're saying yes and self-worth the way that tyra looks at self-worth the way that Hashem looks at our self-worth, right? Because, and I feel like I say this all the time, but you could buy the pillow at Target that says that you are enough or that you are worthy. And you could say it to yourself in the mirror every day and it won't necessarily have an effect on you because there's still that lingering question of 
Why? What makes me worthy? What makes me enough? What is it? And the answer to that is, and this applies to everything, not just Jews, what, what makes you worthy is that godly spark. It's what makes you alive. It's what gives you purpose. And if you're coming from that space of realizing that, that I have godly energy, I have godly purpose inside me, and from there, I want to live my life, then that's why I am enough. That's why I have self-worth. But if you're just saying like, oh, I have self-worth because yes, right. what right. makes why? It's a great, it's a great point. So what I'm hearing you say is that when we know that we are worthy because we are just a piece of a sham and we have a chilakalka, that alone helps our marriage because then we look at others and our spouses and say they are too a piece of a sham. So it's not like I'm amazing, you're and maybe not. It's I'm worthy and so are you and so are everyone. So it's like a whole shift in the way we look at the people in our lives, even those that are doing things that we may not agree with or may not understand. Um, am I hearing correctly that idea? Yes. Um, and if I just look back at the question, you were saying, what is necessary for a marriage to flourish? Yes. That would be the answer to that question. If you're okay. to what's necessary for a woman to do to make her marriage flourish, that would be okay. The- um, I would say, okay, so, so answer that one too. Yeah. Um, that would be a different answer, right. For her to really know, understand, see her femininity, what it means to truly receive the subtle power of receptivity is crucial for a relationship and also is the answer to a flourishing marriage. So that would definitely be the answer to that question, but each question is different. I love that. So as we're getting closer to um, Yom Tevim, and um, it's a very hectic time of year, it's a really busy season for a Jewish home, specifically a you know Orthodox home. And what would your advice be for couples, for wives, for husbands this time of year? You know, you're going into this cooking, cleaning, preparing, meal after meal, taking care of children, lots and lots of kids at home over and over again. It can be stressful. It can also be beautiful. What would your suggestion be to help make a smooth yumps of experience. That's good. I like that practical um, ending note. So I think twofold. First of all, the awareness is crucial to really keep your finger on the pulse of how you're feeling. Because if you are noticing, if first comes the ability to notice, but if you are able to notice that you're slipping into that survival mode, then already things are are, are not good, right? So like just like you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. So if you're slipping into that martyr mode, survival mode, um, then to add another job to your list, to try to find ways to prepare in advance um, what to do if you're slipping into that. Because what happens when you're in survival mode, you can't be receptive. If the resentment starts building, the pain is there. It's right at the surface. And um, that's where that's where all the bad energy comes from. So what she could do first and foremost is take ownership over how she wants to show up over Yantif. Um, and it's hard. So to have some sort of backup plan, and it could be very simple, right? It could be something like, um, if I'm feeling like I'm slipping into survival mode, then maybe I can take five minutes, do a yoga pose, turn on a candle, you know, light a candle, um, turn on some music and lighten up my energy. Small things to reset yourself so that 
you are asking yourself, so you're honoring your voice, how am I feeling? You're realizing how you're feeling and then resetting it so that you could get into a, a better space. Now, that's huge because if you're doing that in a very small way, you're shifting from that space or that feeling of I'm a victim to yumtif and how I'm just constantly cooking, cleaning, clearing to no, I'm doing things to take care of myself. Um, and I'm making a conscious choice here to take care of myself right now in this moment. Now, a deeper level of really honoring your voice would be for her to think about what do I want from Yemtif? Not just, you know, what, how to survive this Yemtif. What do I want Yemtif to look like? What are beautiful things that I wish I could have for Yemtif? And I'm not just talking about buying things. It could be, I would love lots of guests. I would love to have uh, Nugunim at the table. Um, and it could be buying something like, you know, sometimes you could buy something special tablecloth and every time you look at it, it just makes you feel great. But it's important to give yourself that space to think about it before. How could I honor my own voice and approaching Yemtif so I don't feel like I'm a victim to it? Because mm -hmm. that's not what Yemtif is about. It's about relationship more than anything. Right. So I to honor that. I love that. You know, what comes up when you say that is, like you said, Nagunim and all that, I think also to think about what we can bring for it. Cause if it's going to be something that my husband's going to do and then he's not going to do it, then I'm going to be left feeling like I'm disappointed again. Mm -hmm. So, or my kids didn't sit by the table and then there again, I'm going back into victim. Whereas, you know, going to the place of empowerment, like, okay, where do I, you know, where can I add and, and then make it more beautiful? And like you said, I think asking that one question, how do I want to show up? How do I want to show up? Like, what do I want to be? Do I want to be cranky mommy? Do I want to be happy wife? Do I want to be, you know, um, calm shlucha? How do I want to show up this tishrei? Asking yourself that question, then it helps you ask, okay, so what do I need to make that happen? It's a very, you know, it's a shift. It's a real shift. And I think this is something that we don't do enough is we don't sit back and reflect and, we're, and this is what I'm curious, is it called evaluating, but can we evaluate ourselves and say, okay, so Pesach, this and this happened. I know if I got more help or if I got more guests or if I had family come, A, B or C, whatever it is, my yum tip will be more smooth. So I guess in that case, evaluation would be for ourselves is, is, is considered okay. I'm curious about that part. So evaluation, when I'm speaking about evaluation, it's not about not analyzing, um, okay. right? You could always be thinking. Um, it's about the judgment that comes at the end of that analysis. Right. So when I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, hey, you know, I'm observing that I did this and this, like last Pesach, I was a complete nightmare. Um, and then the conclusion is I'm just a nightmare. Then that was not good, right? That level of judgments came up after the analysis. But if I could just look at myself and say, "Hey, I want to be a little gentler on myself," um, and yes, observe what I was, and that I, I'm human, and I could show up a little bit better. And what can I do about it? Um, is beautiful. Now, here's where I just want to bring this in because I feel like we didn't really discuss this. A lot of our podcast here was a lot about the woman taking ownership and. Um, mm -hmm thinking about things for herself, which is beautiful and powerful. I just want to bring in here that you could bring things to your husband for him to also help, right? So, and there's a whole way to navigate a conversation like that, but it would be without expectation to bring to him how you would love to have Nagunim at the table, or you would love to have Divritari at, at the table. And what I find is very scary for women is they'll bring something that is deeply a desire of theirs um, 
to their husband. And there's so much fear that's not going to happen, or there's so much expectation that has to happen. Otherwise, this is what it means if it doesn't happen. And I just want to invite all women out there to explore this very different way of navigating a desire, which is just to stay with it. Instead of like looking at the conclusion or what's going to happen, again, moving away from like the evaluation or the interpretation or needing to know the end, just kind of stay with it and see what will happen instead of being in that space of fear, right? So like, let's say you ask your husband, you know, I would love to have Nikunim at the table. And he says, sure, that's great. And then the first night passes and there was no Nikunim. She doesn't have to experience uh, the fear that it's not going to happen, that he doesn't care about her. She could just stay with it. She said something that she loves. She honored her voice. She spoke her truth. And it doesn't mean anything that it didn't happen, right? Sometimes we, we, again, we go to that judgment because it's such a strong part of our personality and it doesn't have to be. There's something very beautiful about dreaming and thinking about things that you love, because often women get so disappointed so often that they shut down that part of themselves to think for themselves and to want and to dream and to love. And that's even more painful because now they're not even in a space of feeling at all or even knowing what they want because they've shut so, down. So in that, in that case, so you asked and you were disappointed. So what, it, you know, usually you're like, well, why did I, you know, like, here you are again, if I don't ask, then at least I won't be disappointed. At least I won't have to think that he ignored my, my desire. So I didn't ask him for Nagunim and the meal came and went and there was no Nagunim. Now I'm even more disappointed. How, how do we move away from that? Yeah. And not just is it disappointing, it's, it creates so much disconnect, right? He doesn't know me. He doesn't understand me. If he truly loved me, then he would listen to me. Maybe he doesn't really value me. Right. And you could also hear how much is hinged upon that one request of Nagunim, right? Like the whole relationship is suddenly in the balance because yes. he either did or did not sing Nagunim. That's so heavy. And that has so much attachment to it and a lot of expectation. And if she's bringing it with that much expectation, chances are he's going to feel it and not want to do it because it just feels so needy. And and, and such a lie to their relationship, because I'm sure there's so many other things that he's doing, right? So he's leading the Shabbos table, he's sharing into our Torah, he's taking care of the kids, uh, he came home early before Lechbenshin, whatever it is, right? There's so much else that's happening, but it's all hinged now upon the Gunin. So that's, there's so much to explore, obviously, when we're talking about a relationship. It's not just, there's never just one situation. Right. Uh, but that often is what happens, right? We're just hinging it all on one thing. So again, so what do we do to help ourselves move away from that, from not hinging it? So are you saying that we should focus on the things that are happening, not the things that didn't happen? How do we help ourselves move away from that? Well, first and foremost, like there's, there's so many other things to be appreciating, right? Finding value in, in your husband, all the things that he is doing to help prepare for Yemtif right? Like I know for myself, how many times have we all thought about, does he even see how much I'm cooking and cleaning and running around? He doesn't know all the details that I put into this meal, right? So if we create a dynamic or a, a culture of seeing the other person and seeing the value that they're bringing to the relationship, you're creating an entirely different culture in your home, right? So already I, in my own body, am feeling 
like I can see so much more than just Nagunim, right? I'm seeing everything, the whole person. And then, yes, of course, I want Nagunim. And I would love that. So it's like a cherry on top. It's something that I deeply want and love, and it's beautiful. And again, just because it didn't happen the first meal doesn't mean it's never going to happen. That's also something to just also. So what I'm hearing you say is to kind of lower the 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 heat on this, like just stop making it the like when you make it such a big deal, then it becomes this big deal. Like lower the not the, only the expectation around it, but like the meaning and what the message that it come that, that it's stating like, my kids don't behave at the Shabbos meal. Like it's terrible. My home's terrible. No, I have children that like to run around. I mean, each thing, what I'm hearing you say and tell me if I'm hearing correctly is this idea that we should lower the temperature and, and the expectation and the, the thoughts and the beliefs around it and kind of just, Oh, it didn't happen, but you know, what did happen. This happened and that happened and that happened. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay. And again, leaving open that space, not needing to be in a space of judgment or like limitation of this will never happen. Okay. Like leaving it open. There's that open door. I love it. Okay. So let's end off with, do you have any, uh, an example or a story where you've seen, you know, your relationship, this whole idea relationship, um, help improve a relationship, improve a marriage. Can you give us a little brief snippet? Okay, so I'll share a quick story of somewhat of a shift that can illustrate a little bit of what relationship speaks to. So one time I was working on my computer um, and my husband walked into the room singing in Nigan. Now, I know this may sound funny, but just that simple act of my husband walking in singing in Nigan to me would trigger a response um, because I already had judgments around around a lot of different things in our relationship. So I had different judgments on him walking into our room singing and again. Um, and one of them was he doesn't see or value my work or what I'm doing here. So that was, you know, in the battle days, I would think something like that. And I would go into just a, a whirlpool of thinking that um, he's, you know, not considering me, he's not seeing me. Um, all sorts of beliefs about him and our relationship. And after doing a lot of work on that and working away from that, um, outside of this experience right here, this story where he walks in, I was able to, instead of thinking those beliefs, I was able to just hear what he was actually doing, which was he came into the room and he was singing in again. And that meant that to me, that he was trying to give something to me. He was trying to contribute something to me. Because I truly believe that my husband is my mashbia and I am a makabo, and I do believe that every given moment there is an opportunity for us to connect in that way as mashbia and makabo. So it was up to me to kind of figure out, well, what am I being makabo here? Where is the opportunity here for me to see a gift in what my husband is contributing? Um, and when I looked at it, I realized he's singing this niggin, which is a beautiful and powerful niggin. And I could look at him and think all the negative beliefs that I used to think, which was, you know, he's only thinking about himself or he's not seeing me. Or I could come from this space of value, knowing the worth of my own work, not feeling threatened by the fact that someone walked in singing again, and also seeing that he wants to give something to me here and finding it, which to me meant 
there's an opportunity here for me to pause and really live with the niggin. Hear him, hear him singing it, listen to it, give myself pause, be present to a niggin. How often do I give that to myself? And so it didn't hurt me to stop working for a moment and just receive that moment of receiving that niggin from my husband. And what was tremendous was I was able to connect with him on a very deep level because he was sharing with me this beautiful niggin that he loved. And I was able to connect with him over something that he truly loved, that he, you know, felt resonated deeply with him. And what could have been a moment of me feeling angry or disconnected with my husband was actually transformed to a moment of me feeling deeply connected and um, receptive and understood and um, loved, right? Here's someone who is trying to give me something, his favorite niggin, and connect with me over it. So what was transformational, at least for me, was realizing how much the internal messaging um, and the belief work was able to shift just by me working within relationship and shifting my mindset and my beliefs around others and my understanding of who I am and what I can contribute to the world and the understanding that I have an ashama and purpose and can contribute. All of those made a very simple act uh, be a transformational moment. So that's just one story of a shift in my life. And there's lots of others, um, of clients and of other people that I know, but I wouldn't share it here without permission. But the idea is, is that I'm sharing this story here with permission, of course, because, um, that's what I do. Again, the word curiosity is coming up for me. Yeah. It's come up a few times while you've been talking. And when we can approach things with curiosity versus judgment, it really shifts everything. So, hey, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. That was very insightful. Like, where you can, not compassion, where there's empathy, compassion of seeing the other person, right? Seeing the whole other person. There's something about that also that's important. It's vulnerable to sing a nigga to someone else. There's yes. there that he's offering. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for giving us a little taste into what relationship is, sharing some insights with all of us. I, I love to learn from all different types of people. And I always find it fascinating to seeing younger people that have done so much of their own work. A lot of ch- people change, you know, in their forties, they start to have these awareness. I'm noticing a trend now where younger people are having these awarenesses at younger ages and change is happening and growth is happening even earlier. It's a fascinating thing that I'm noticing. So thank you so much for being um, willing to come on and wishing us all a wonderful and happy Yantif and ZCR, good year, and um, to you and your family and to your marriage as well. I mean, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and gained some insight and some tools on marriage that you haven't known previously. If you would like to leave a review or rating, please do so. That always helps others find our podcast easier. 
If you have any questions or comments and would like to reach out to set up a positive coaching consultation, you can reach me at apositivecoach.com. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day.